0: Welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. This is a sample of our recent bonus episode. Every couple of weeks or so, our crew of researchers, Amanda and myself, get together for a roundtable discussion. So here's a few minutes for free so you can see what all the fuss is about. So we were given the book A Paradise Built in Hell by Rebecca Solnit by none other than our very own transcriptionist, Scott, who told me about it saying he found it life-changing. And admittedly, I haven't finished it yet, but I've read enough to know where he's coming from. And I think it relates to what we're talking about today and the stories we tell ourselves because we are definitely in a society that tells us a story that sort of influences how we think of ourselves and and the story we tell about our place in society that is not so much compatible with how our, I don't know, like almost inherent core desires are. So we started by talking about how I played an adventure game years and years ago that set me on a path of enjoying that kind of game and that what I enjoyed about that is the storytelling, right? It's an inherent thing that I like. It, like, plugs into my brain in a way that I'm very receptive of because of millions of years of evolution that have led to humans enjoying stories. Of course, that's not the only thing that humans enjoy. There's a lot of things that we inherently enjoy, and this book is trying to tap into these aspects of our desire for social ties and meaningful work that is all too scarce in modern society And it's looking at this phenomenon through the lens of disasters. So the idea is that when disaster strikes, society, you know, it doesn't exactly crumble, but I mean, so much of the veneer of society is stripped away that what we are left with is much more core human values. So I'm just going to read a little excerpt here. It says, Disasters provide an extraordinary window into social desire and possibility, and what manifests there matters elsewhere, in ordinary times and in other extraordinary times. The positive emotions that arise in those unpromising circumstances demonstrate that social ties and meaningful work are deeply desired readily improvised and intensely rewarding. The very structure of our economy and society prevents these goals from being achieved. The structure is also ideological, a philosophy that best serves the wealthy and powerful, but shapes all of our lives, reinforced as the conventional wisdom disseminated by the media from news hours to disaster movies. The facets of that ideology have been called individualism, capitalism, and social Darwinism, and have appeared in the political philosophies of Thomas Hobbes and Thomas Malthus, as well as the work of most conventional contemporary economists who presume we seek personal gain for rational reasons and refrain from looking at the ways a system skewed to that end damages much else we need for our survival and desire for our well-being. To sum that up, what this whole book is getting at is that in times of disaster, people fundamentally change the way they act. They transform into something that is much more deeply rooted in us. They become altruistic. They go out and meet neighbors they may have lived next to for years and never spoken to. They help without expecting anything in return. And society is sort of immediately transformed to help recover from a disaster. And Dion. I know you had sort of a story along these lines. Am I remembering correctly that a tornado went through your town and yeah. someone had a chainsaw and all the trees had fallen down and so this person went around making a killing because he was the only one with a chainsaw and of course the laws of supply wow. and demand meant that he could charge basically whatever he wanted to cut down uh, you know people's branches So he was happy for making all the money and everyone else was happy because they got their trees taken away. Am I remembering that?
1: That's the opposite of the the story that I think we talked about. I lived, (laughs) I'm from the town and I lived just outside of the town. Joplin tornado, Uh, 157 people died. It was at the, I think it might still be the deadliest tornado that's ever hit America. And it devastated miles and miles and miles. It was a mile wide tornado that went Through the entire town. The immediate aftermath was like, well, not to make myself a hero in this story, because I was in my house playing video games in my underwear when my family showed up to see what was going on because cell phones weren't working. Phones weren't working. And like, (laughs) why are you here? Told me the story. We all got in our car, raced the 15 minutes into town and everyone is helping everyone as much as they can. And this went on for days and weeks. And and after telling Jay the story, I'd kind of forgotten like the next day, I unloaded two trucks with bottles of water that had come in from somewhere. I don't know who these people were that were unloading these bottles of water. I just jumped on and started helping just like everyone else was doing. Like people that did have chainsaws are cutting trees that have fallen on cars. And everyone's doing all this because it has to be done we all need it to be done, and everyone's going through this together. It's for months afterwards, months, weeks afterwards. Like it, it's the most united I've felt that town feel. I think we all felt that way. And like I was telling Jay, when the disaster capitalist aspect came in, when the construction, cr- dec- or construction or demolition crews came in from all over the country that were getting paid in federal funds. Everything changed back to I got to get mine. I got to get paid. Where's this money going? Where, where, like, all that stuff. So, in the moment, like, in the immediate aftermath, like, I think you, we felt more like people are supposed to feel in a community doing what you can because you're able to do it, not because you need to get paid for it. And that commodification of just everyday life goes out the window when there's no money involved. This is just what has to be done.
2: Yeah. Do, do you remember the guy who started hoarding cleaning supplies during the height of lockdown and he got, you know, ripped one side and down the other at that moment, because it was so like, morally reprehensible at the time because we were all feeling what Dion just described in that moment that the brief few months where we had (laughs) you know that I was feeling and importantly
1: (laughs) such an outlier Mm
2: -hmm. right right it was so it was completely yeah not the norm nobody was he wasn't part of some big scheme he was just like he was begging to be shamed right by society (laughs) this is what we were this is what we're primed to do. Yeah, because it, everyone else was on the same page. It's kind of amazing how we can do that. We have the ability to do that.
1: That's the baseline story about us that gets brought out of the superstructure of this story of capitalism that, that is all-encompassing and is force-feeding us this other narrative but when that narrative gets fractured, the real us comes out and the real us yeah. is pretty good.
0: Yeah. turns turns out we're still in there somewhere. So as, as part of, you know, some extraneous elements of our research for today's topic, we were watching something about what makes humans tick, what makes humans happy, that sort of thing. And th- there's, so there's the classic examples about do humans act a certain way because of of how we would have reacted on the savanna, you know, a million years ago. Do we dream of, that we're falling because that we used to live in the trees and so you needed to be <laughs> aware of not falling, that sort of thing. And this guy posited theory that I hadn't heard before at least about public speaking, you know, that for whatever reason humans are deathly afraid of public speaking and he put forward that when we are public speaking, we are speaking to a large group. And so that is akin to speaking to effectively your whole community at the same time, you know, your tribe of 60 people or whatever, who you're talking to all at once. And that is when you are the most vulnerable to saying something that will get you shunned from the entire community. And that, I mean, being shunned when you are living in a tribe, is basically akin to death, because we are not designed to survive individually. We we basically uh, can't do that for the most part. It's like a Jerry Seinfeld joke that we fear public speaking more than death, and so we'd rather be dead than give a speech. Ha ha ha! But like, then give the oh eulogy. yeah yeah that's <laughs> yeah. What, sorry that's what it is. You'd rather be in in the coffin than giving the eulogy. But what is maybe more close to true is that public speaking is seen as nearly akin to death or the threat of death, the threat of being shunned. And so those are the two sides of this coin, right? Is that being shunned, being on our own is practically the worst thing we can imagine experiencing. And the flip side is that when the bullshit veneer of society is ripped away, we become amazing members of community who will like gleefully help anyone who needs help and the the point of this book you know it's called the paradise built in hell that the point is people actively enjoy the experience of having gone through a disaster i mean the disaster is awful they don't enjoy the destruction they don't enjoy that you know people were injured or killed but they remember that sense of community that Dion was describing, and and so as this author was you know interviewing people for the book, like everyone gets this look in their eye, like oh, remember the good times when we were recovering from a horrific disaster, because you know what that's getting at is we enjoy this like hidden form of humanity more than we enjoy the structures of modern society
3: yeah when we were reading that i just thought like how sad is it (laughs) because like we just have such basic wants that have been obviously transformed into this bullshit consumerism that doesn't actually ever make you happy no matter how wealthy you end up getting because what generally wealthy people end up very isolated and behind because then they're afraid that other people are going to go after their resources that they've cultivated and stolen. (laughs) But (laughs) I think (laughs) this goes to, I have, I'm a millennial. So a lot of my friends, we all have this pipe dream, right? Where we're going to get a piece of land. We're all going to like live on it as a little community, a little commune. We joke about it, but like on a very real level, like that's exactly what I would want. I just want a community. I want to feel like whatever I'm doing is benefiting them, that we're all living off the land together, right? I'm not saying no technology, come on. <laughs> but I think like that connectedness. I also have a lot of friends going into their 30s, and they talk about how hard it is to make friends now. And I feel like that is the adult woe, right? <laughs> that we just have such a hard time connecting because our lives are essentially built to isolate us. Everything in modern society is very Isolating and segmented when all we desperately want is a reason to connect to people, something that can bring us together, that can make us friends, that can have that deeper community level. Everything that he pointed to about the disasters, I've, I've seen that replicated. My hometown had two major things that happened there was a shooting and there were tornadoes, and both of them, it was all dating strong. You know, there were t shirts, everybody was like in that, everybody was volunteering. There was such a collective feeling for something that. You wouldn't otherwise necessarily feel connected to all these random people, right? <laughs> There's not one thing that's bringing you all together, except for in that moment, which is you happen to be in this area and there happened to be like a terrible thing that occurred. So, yeah uh, how how do we translate that into yeah. future forward? I don't know. Maybe a good chance. Let me be dark here and say like natural disasters are going to be in abundance. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, my God. (laughs) You you went there.
0: (laughs) I mean, shall we just wrap up by saying the obvious answer all in unison? Join a cult and take (laughs) mushrooms. Oh, I I thought we were going to say it together.
1: (laughs) You know, that does seem to be the solution at the end of most of the things we talk about lately <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is it for today's free sample Paid members are who make there? this entire show possible he's not, he's and so not, these bonus episodes for, uh, and the bonus okay. clips that go in it's our regular result, episodes yeah, are all just, just to say thanks to them for their support We've been in a drought of advertisements on the show for a while now, which means we are all the more grateful for every single member who signs up. If you would like to be our newest member, you can sign up at bestoftheleft.com slash support or from right inside the Apple Podcasts app. If you can't afford a membership, I offer financial hardship memberships. Just drop me an email and we'll get you all set up. As always, thanks for listening and thanks for your support.